turn to James chapter 1. As you recall, we are starting a, a study through the book of James, and this is the, the second sermon from that study. The first sermon was about trials, having a proper perspective of trials, and this morning the text is verses 13 through 18 of chapter 1, and the title of the message is The Test of Temptation. The Test of Temptation. Let us first read these verses, starting at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. The test of temptation. The story is told of a man who was on a diet, And as often is the case, he was struggling with that new diet. One day, he had to go into town to do some business. And he realized, as he prepared to leave, that that he would be going right past the donut shop. (laughs) I think that's a good place to go. And so, as he got closer, he thought that, you know, a donut and some coffee would just really hit the spot. And then he remembered his diet. And so he prayed. Dear Lord, if it is your will that that I have a donut and some coffee, I pray that there would be an open parking spot right in front of the donut shop. And would you believe it? Sure enough. There was an open parking spot right in front of the donut shop on his seventh time around the block. (laughs) Isn't that some? Someone has said, most people want to be delivered from temptation, but would just like it to keep in touch. As I thought about that, I had to think, you know, There are many people who desire to overcome sinful habits. But at the same time, they just find them all too enjoyable. And and so they struggle along and they struggle along. And and their spiritual life is perhaps more like a, a roller coaster ride of ups and downs. And yes, they have a few victories along the way. But they have many defeats. As well. And, and to them, the thought of experiencing consistent victory is just almost more than they can, they can dream of. <laughs> they just can't, they can't dream of what that would be like to, to live a, a consistent and a, and a victorious Christian life. Sure, they, they do have some, but they have a lot of defeats. In fact, James refers to people like this. In verse 8, when he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so, 
it's, it's, it's a picture of people who are not solid. They are not steady. They are not consistent. But the scripture says they are unstable in all their ways. And so right from the beginning this morning, let me just state the obvious as it relates to temptation. And that is, you will not make it as a Christian if you do not learn how to deal with temptation. You will not make it as a Christian if you do not learn how to deal successfully, I say, with temptation. And the foundation for overcoming temptation is a sincere love and passion for God and a serious hate for sin. Now that sounds rather general, I realize. And that is obviously fleshed out in many ways in the way we live our life. But I say the foundation of overcoming, for overcoming temptation is a sincere passion for God, a desire to do what is right, a desire to obey His Word, and along with that, a serious hate for sin. In Luke chapter 8, we read of the parable of the sower. And in verse 6, Jesus says, Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And then in verse 13, he explained it this way. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Jesus is saying here that there are those who make a profession of faith and they begin to show signs of growth. But when the heat and the stress of trials, when those worldly tugs of temptation come into their life, they fall away. They die. We could, we could call them different things, but, but I'll just say we could call those kind of Christians surface Christians. Uh, their passion for God is not rooted deep in the heart. You could say that their love for God is, is just skin deep. It's just on the surface. And so it's a, it's a relationship that runs out of steam when, when pressure builds up. It's my prayer this morning that verse 15 of Luke chapter 8 is a picture of our heart's desire. And Jesus said there, he said, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and a good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now that's a beautiful picture of a person who has learned to endure, a person who has learned to overcome temptation. And their ability to stand the test of temptation is founded in their steady trust in God. It's founded in their sincere love for His Word. They have a good and an honest heart, a sincere heart. And they don't just hear the Word and then move along with life, but they hear the Word and they keep it. They put it to practice. And they can stand the test of temptation. You know, dear people, temptations are a powerful thing. 
The desires of our flesh must not be looked at lightly. They are powerful. And the enemy is very strong as well. And so it is so important that we learn to recognize and we learn to overcome temptation. And if not, James makes it clear here, if we do not learn that, if we do not come to the point where we are recognizing it and standing on guard against it, it leads us down the path to death. We see that in verse 15. Now, as we consider this study this morning, this this subject of temptation, there are several things that I would like us to keep in focus along the way. Now, in the earlier message about trials, we noted that trials and afflictions are often more of an outward struggle. Things that that we face in life physically that come into our, our daily walk of life. You know, maybe it was that flat tire. Maybe it was the baby got sick. Maybe it was someone died. Maybe, you name it, those kind of things, more of an outward struggle. But temptations most often are an inner struggle. They are spiritual battles that that rage within us. And I must say that oftentimes, few people, if any, are aware of it. And yet, just because they're confined within us, just because people don't see them, doesn't mean they're small or insignificant by any stretch. The truth is, it is those inner temptations that go unnoticed by most, they are perhaps the greatest and most important battles that we will face in life. Those inner temptations. The inner struggle with our, with our fleshly desires. The inner struggles, the questions that Satan brings into our life. Did God really say, you know where that comes from, way back in the Garden of Eden. He still is bringing that question to us today. And so we must never forget that we are engaged in a very real spiritual battle, although it's not seen. Yes, it's unseen, and yet very real, and very active. And I believe when we fail to keep this in focus, we are setting ourselves up to fall. We must keep this in focus. Uh, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness or spiritual forces of evil in high places. That is really where our our main struggles, our greatest struggles happen in the spiritual world. Another thing that we must keep in focus is that just as trials are a part of every human experience, so are temptations. Every one of us will face them. We can't get around it. Note there what verse 14 says. Every man is tempted. And by the way, every woman is tempted too, and you women would be well aware of that. But It is something that happens to us all. Now, as we think about this, you can keep your finger here, but turn turn back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here is a verse that we often think of when it comes to temptation and how to deal with it. I'd like to make some, some points here about this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And so it brings out that important focus once again that temptations are not unusual. Therefore, we need not be surprised when they happen. In fact, since temptations are such a normal part of life, we need to have a a godly game plan ready and engaged. Have it in place so that we can come out victorious. And we'll talk about that more towards the end of the message this morning. Another thing we must keep in focus, and, and I'm drawing some things here from verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10, is that we don't have to fall in temptation. We don't have to fall. Look once again. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may bear it. And so, note some things here in this verse. In temptation, we can depend on God to help. God is faithful. God is faithful. God also allows us to be tempted. Yet, his goal is, is that we do not fall. Actually, the scripture says, I think it's, it's Jude verse 24, he is able to keep you from falling, is what the scripture says. And so God allows these things. He allows temptation in our life. But his goal is that we not fall. God also limits temptation to what we can stand. That ye may be able to bear it. God also always makes a way out for us. Praise the Lord for that. God does not allow things into our life that he knows will completely sink us, that we have no way that we can overcome them. He does not allow things like that. God allows what we can bear. And he also always makes a way out for us. And we could say, well... That way out is through Jesus Christ. He is the answer. And we'll look at that more later as well. And so the Christian can never say, Oh, the temptation was just so great. I just had, I just had to yield. I, I just couldn't help myself. I just had to yield. No, the Christian can't say that. Because when we yield to temptation, when we allow temptation to overcome us, It's because we are not looking to God for help. It's because we were thinking about ourself. We were thinking about feeding our flesh. We were thinking about what feels good. The the way of escape is there. And yet, if we choose our way, we will pay. We certainly will. Well, Romans 6 speaks of this very powerfully as well. We won't look at that right now. But Romans 6 talks about how that as Christians, we are no longer a slave to sin. In other words, we don't have to serve sin anymore. We are are no longer under the bondage to sin and Satan. Uh, Verse 22 says, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And so, no longer are we under the bondage of sin. We are not a slave to sin. We do not have to sin. But praise the Lord, 
we now have an answer through Jesus Christ. And it's such a blessing and a privilege to be a child of God and to have that way of escape possible through the blood of Christ. In our text here this morning, back in James chapter 1, there are three things that I believe we must understand in order to overcome temptation. We'd like to look at those, and then uh, towards the end of the message, we'd like to look at some, some practical power for overcoming temptation. But these three things here that I note in our text, we must recognize and understand the source of temptation, the force of temptation, and the course of temptation. The source, the force, and the course. Let's look at those uh, this morning. Now, as we noted in the earlier message about trials, the word tempted that we see here in, in verses 13 and 14 is from the same Greek word as that which is often translated trials in verse Take, for example, verse 2. Now, if you're reading in the King James Version, that also says temptations in verse 2. Or take, for example, uh, verse 12, he that endureth temptation. Those are all taken from the same Greek word. However, verses 2 and 12 are often translated in other versions as trials. And although they're from the same Greek word, they clearly have two different senses. They are speaking of two different kinds of of things that come into our life that have the potential to trip us up. You know, God, God tests and God tries the Christian's faith. He certainly does. But God never tempts the Christian to sin. And we'll note that here. For example, God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God also tested Job when when he allowed Satan to come and, and afflict him with all those trials. Yes, God allowed that. But God certainly didn't tempt Adam and Eve to sin there in the Garden of Eden. And God certainly didn't tempt King David to commit sin with Bathsheba. Certainly not. In James 13, James 1.13 here makes that very clear. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. You see, a part of our human nature is to try to, to dodge, you could say, personal responsibility for our sin. We don't like to own up for it. We like to pass the blame. And, and as you well know from reading your Bible, this has been happening ever since the Garden of Eden. Uh, what, did, what did Adam say when God came to him and confronted him with this sin? Adam said, well, the woman that you gave me. See, it's, it's Eve's fault. And then God went to Eve, and what did she say? Well, the serpent made me do it. You see, passing the blame, not taking personal responsibility for the sin. Now, the truth is, both statements that they made were true in a sense. But yet they were trying to swerve taking personal responsibility of that. Adam's answer really blamed God. He's saying, God, the woman that you gave me, 
It calls me. It's her fault. Why did you give me a woman like that? You know, it, it's that kind of blaming. He, he was sort of pushing it back at God. God, it's your fault. You gave me that woman, and she made me do it. Okay. I believe from this text here that James wants us to see that if we go down that route, first of all, we don't overcome temptation by going down the blaming route. Secondly, when we go down that route, we in a sense attack the pure and holy character of God. We're pushing it back at him and sort of blaming God in a sense for where we are in life and what we did. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, is what our text reads there in verse 13. It is impossible because of the holy nature of God. It goes against his purity. It is contrary to the purity and holiness of God for him to to tempt us and to sin. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. You see, God never allows things into our life for the purpose of bringing us down, or for the purpose of tripping us up. No, He doesn't. But He always, His purpose is always of that to build us up to cause us to grow, to strengthen us, to help us conform more to Jesus Christ. That's his ultimate purpose. Someone has said, afflictions, as sent by God, are designed to draw out our graces, not our corruptions. In fact, look here at at verses 16 through 18. And so, we we have verse 13, what we just read that God does not tempt anyone. God is not tempted by evil. And then verse 16, James says, take care not to err in our conceptions of God. That's not the God that we serve. Be careful that you don't have wrong thought patterns about who God is and what He allows and what He brings Verse 17, he basically says, look, this is our great and loving God. And look, what the, look at the gifts that he gives. He doesn't bring bad things into your life. He brings good gifts. He brings perfect gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Make sure that you don't err in your conception of God, he's saying. This is really who our loving God is. And then verse 18, in essence, he's saying, this is God's plan. This is God's heart. This is God's desire for you and me. That we might be a kind of firstfruits of all that he created. We are, in essence, as human beings the shining star of his creation. The ones that 
he wants to have a relationship with, that he cares about in a way that, that exceeds his love and care for the rest of creation, you could say. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How beautiful! This is truly our loving God, truly a clear picture of the God that we serve. And so James makes it clear God is not to blame when it comes to temptation. So then, if it's not God, who is it? Where does temptation come from? Verse 14 Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Of his own lust. And therein lies the answer. You know, temptation comes from within. It comes from our own inner sinful desires. You see, temptation cannot take effect unless we allow it to. And so we must not blame God. We must not blame others. No, we must not even blame Satan for that. I mean, yeah, he is thrilled to see that work happening in us. He, he certainly is. He wants to see that because he wants, to, he wants it to pull us down. But we must not give him credit for more than he deserves. The scripture clearly says it comes from our own lust from within. And don't forget that the scripture says that our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. And yes, although we are saved and experiencing new life in Jesus Christ, as long as we are in this old sinful body, our old man will be a struggle. We will fight with him. And it will be a constant battle, a daily battle. Certainly it is. And I'm sure you're aware of that. And if you're not aware of that, that should be a red flag. But for those of you who are trying to serve the Lord with a sincere heart, then you know that the flesh and the old man is a daily battle. Something that has to be kept up with and fought after. Paul makes a clear distinction in a number of his writings. He makes a clear distinction between our position in Christ and our practice. Now, our position is that we have died to sin and that we are risen with Christ. That we are one of His children. That's our position as we've come to Christ. Yet still in practice, we experience the working of the old man. And we battle against that selfish inner nature. We battle that. And so, yes, in position, we are one with Christ. We are a new man in Christ. But yet, in practice, we are still in the flesh. And we battle that. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 11, The way to overcome temptation, the way to overcome the sinful habit is to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ. We're alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the truth. Now, I know that it often doesn't feel that way. When we're in a battle, it feels like, I don't feel alive to Jesus Christ right now. I feel like the flesh is just getting a hold of me. But when we claim that promise, when we claim that truth, and move forward in faith, sin can be broken. That bondage of sin can be broken, and we can claim victory. It's about claiming in faith 
the promises that God has established through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I say the first step to acknowledging, or I should say the first step to overcoming temptation, is to acknowledge that it is in me. It's my own sinful problem. I cannot blame another, but I take responsibility. Yes, it comes from my own sinful desires. And there is hope for victory when we can recognize the source of temptation and stand guard against it. There is hope for victory. Let's note now the force of temptation. I say to overcome temptation, we must recognize its force. Now, children, have your parents ever given you a stick of dynamite to play with? Raise the hands. Stick of dynamite. You haven't ever went to Walmart and got some dynamite to play with? (laughs) Okay. No. I mean, it goes without saying that no wise parent would give their child dynamite to play with. Why is that? Because a parent, a wise parent, knows full well that dynamite has a very powerful and destructive force. We know that's deadly. In a similar way, James points out that temptation is also powerfully destructive. There's a deathly force that comes along with temptation. Temptation is nothing to play around with. In fact, if it is not dealt with properly, it will cost your life. It will cost you your life. And so one of the most severe dangers of temptation is not that it is merely an outside enemy. No. But one of the most severe dangers of temptation is that it dwells within us. Temptation is in us. It's with us wherever we go. It doesn't matter if it's night or day. Temptation dwells within us, within the old man. And we could say it's, it's always ready to strike. Note this analogy here, and I quote, We are carrying about within ourselves much inflammable material. If we are not careful, temptation can strike the spark that causes an explosion. James' object is to teach us that there is in us the root of our own destruction. If we ignore the danger within us or think that it has been eradicated, we are in a most precarious position. And so I say uh, it is important that we understand and recognize the force of temptation. Certainly our desire is to overcome it, Is it not? Then we must understand the force. And then we also must understand the course of temptation. To to overcome temptation, we must think seriously about its course. It's very obvious here by verse 15 that sin never stands still. There's a progression to sin. But sin also rarely moves fast. Instead, it moves steadily along. Down its course to its ultimate end, which is death. 
What is the last word there in verse 15? Death. The ultimate end of sin is death. You know, sin can also be compared to a small crack in a dam. You children can understand this as well, probably. You know, early on, it doesn't look anything alarming. Maybe you've had a, a little dam down at your creek, Simon. Maybe you built a dam down at your creek, and, and uh, I know our boys did. Uh, and they started out very, very nice and very strong. And that first day, that was a nice-looking dam. But a little crack started. And you're like, okay, well, that, I mean, I still have a strong dam there. I mean, the most of the dam looks great. But sin is like a little crack in a dam that doesn't look that alarming up front. But little by little, that crack gets larger and larger. And if, if it is not repaired, that whole dam washes out. It collapses. And in a, in a, in a big dam setting, lives are lost. There is much destruction in a situation like that. Oftentimes there's death as a result of that. I note here how death in verse 15 stands in sharp contrast to the crown of life in verse 12. Death is the final result there in verse 15. But in verse 12 we read that they who endure temptation receive the crown of life. Two very contrasting pictures. Two completely separate destinies, you could say. And at first, their paths may look like just a little small fork in the road. It's not that noticeable. It doesn't seem like a big deal, the path that leads to death and the path that leads to life. Just a small fork in the road, perhaps. What's the big deal? Doesn't look anything that alarming, does it? But I say, follow those paths to the end, and they end up in two very, very different places. One is life, and one is death. And there's a lot of things that come along the way that reiterate that as well. You know, temptation... Temptation always promises excitement and happiness, at least up front, right? I mean, temptation never comes along and says, hey, do you want to destroy your family and your wife and everything? Do you want to destroy your church? Then follow me. No, temptation doesn't do that. Temptation doesn't say, hey, would you like to disgrace the name of God? Temptation doesn't say, hey, would you like to sow discord in the church and create a lot of pain? Then just follow me. No, that's not temptation. But instead, temptation says, hey, this will be fun. You deserve this. You've been waiting a long time for this. This will meet your needs. That type of thing. You know, you understand what I'm saying. We deal with these things day in and day out, do we not? But you see, if we take that bait, that is the beginning of the path that leads to death. 
someone has said, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Some sobering things for us to think about as it relates to temptation and how we deal with it. And so, yes, if we want to overcome temptation, I believe we must recognize its source, its force, and its course. Three very important factors there. Now, let us look yet at some practical power for overcoming temptation. Uh, You might say, well, that's great, and that's the Word of God, I know that, but how can I put this to practice in my everyday life? How can, I, how can I make this work for me? And so these are things that came to my mind that have helped me and continue to help me, and perhaps you can find it helpful as well. First of all, recognize the enemy. Recognize the enemy. Now back to the parable of the sower, Jesus gives three reasons why people fail in their Christian lives. The first, first is that the devil takes away the word. You know, the birds snatch the seed away. The devil takes the word away from people. Secondly, uh, there are no roots. <laughs> Surface Christians, the roots aren't going deep. There's not moisture being drawn. Thirdly, things crowd out the word. Things crowd out the word. And so we could say that these three enemies of the soul are, are the devil the self, and the world. In a nutshell, that are, that, those are the three enemies of the soul. And none of these should ever be trusted. Temptation can come through any of them. The secret of victory is to recognize the enemy. Recognize the enemy. I was reading about the fall of the city Troy. The city of Troy And this is from way back in ancient days. I think the Greek poet Homer might have wrote about it. And maybe some of you know that story. But the Greeks had been trying to to take the city of Troy for around 10 years. And they had not been successful. And finally they had a good idea. They built this giant wooden horse. And they filled that horse with soldiers. And they left that horse outside the city walls. And then the Greek armies sailed away. There was this giant wooden horse sitting outside the city of Troy. Well, the people of Troy didn't recognize this giant wooden horse as any real severe danger. And so they thought this was rather unique. And so they talked about it for a while. And then they opened the gates and they went out and looked at this horse. Wow, this is quite a work of art. I wonder what they had in mind here. And little by little, they they grew accustomed to this giant wooden horse. That was actually kind of neat. Sort of appealed to them, actually. Well, at last, they decided to bring the horse into the city. This is our horse now. They brought it into the city. Well, that night, while the city of Troy was asleep the Greek soldiers dropped down out of that big giant horse. 
They opened the city gates. The Greek army sailed back in, came in, killed the whole population of that city, and burnt it with fire, burnt it to the ground. You see, the people of Troy failed to recognize the enemy. And it cost them their lives. They grew accustomed to that giant wooden horse. Now the Bible says that we must stand firm in the faith. The Bible says that we must be vigilant. That we must be on guard. That we must be strong. That we must be discerning. That we must try the spirits. And Jesus said the key to overcoming temptation is to watch and pray. Here in the book of James, we also read that we ought, we ought to resist the devil. And when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. The Bible also speaks of Satan coming as an angel of light. Looks rather appealing. Appeals to our nature. But let us not be deceived. So I say recognize the enemy. Secondly, remember the answer. In a time of temptation, we are not strong enough to help ourselves. We are not. I have found that in my life. Perhaps you've found that in your life. We are not strong enough to help ourselves. But we need the help of another, capital A. And that is, I'm saying, remember the answer, capital A, that is Jesus Christ. Remember our powerful God. And so the other half of resist the devil and he will flee from you is draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. There is the help. There is the answer. From time to time I read illustrations of little girls. I don't know where, I don't know who writes these illustrations of little girls. They're cute, but I'm not sure if they're always accurate, but this one was cute. Anyway, this little girl was asked to to talk about how she deals with temptation. And she said, well, she said, when Satan comes knocking at the door of my heart, I just send Jesus to the door. And then when Satan sees Jesus, he says, oops, I'm sorry, I must got the wrong house. (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, that's one way to look at it. It makes it sound easy. I realize it's not always that easy. But the answer is... In Jesus Christ. And I would just like to note several of those from Scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. We read, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is in Jesus Christ. Who shall deliver me? Well, the answer is Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. And a short and powerful verse here that says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How about Hebrews? What does Hebrews have to say? Chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says this. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That's comforting. 
Now turn back to Hebrews 2, verse 18. Hebrews 2, 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. Praise the Lord. Our answer is found in Jesus Christ. In the book Temptation by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I found this very, very good food for thought. He writes this, In our members there is a slumbering inclination towards desire which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money or even that strange desire for the beauty of the world, of nature. It is then that joy in God is extinguished in us. And we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Listen here. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. Perhaps you've been there before. I have. I've been there more than once. In the heat of the moment, when we need the help of God, yet it seems like the flesh is so powerful. And we forget. We forget the answer. We forget that there is a higher power. We forget that He is able to keep us from falling. We forget those truths of Scripture too often. And so I say a key to being victorious in time of temptation is to remember. Remember the answer. We must cultivate in our lives the reality of the presence of God. Cultivate in our lives a God consciousness. God is with me. Recite the word. Another practical power for overcoming temptation. Recite the word. We must confront temptation with the truth. You well know that Satan is a liar. Satan is the father of lies, the scripture says. And in times of temptation, he doesn't present us with absolute truth, but he presents us with his own version of how that is. You remember when Jesus was tempted, he responded with the true word of God. And the result of that was the devil left him and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And dear people, that's an example of victory and we can experience that also in our lives here today using the same method. Responding with the truth of God's word. And now it goes without saying that in order to have that Available, we have to have it available. In other words, the word has to be a part of us if we expect it to help us in time of need. We may not have a Bible at hand. We may not even have our electronic device that has, you know, we may not have it available. 
That's why it's important for us to be in the Word, to fill ourselves with the Word of God, spend time in the truth and the power of God's Word. It is our sword in the battle of life. Number four, another practical power for overcoming temptation is to remove the object. Remove the object. I say sometimes the most effective way to conquer temptation is to remove the object that is tempting you. Or remove yourself from the object. Perhaps you can't remove the object, but you can remove yourself, I bet you. There's some removing that has to take place that can help us conquer temptation. And you might think that is unnecessary. You might think that is way too radical. You might think that it is even impossible or that life will just never be the same if you take this step. And let me tell you, it will never be the same. It will just be a whole lot better. At least I've found that for myself. But abstain... It's not a popular word, but abstain is a powerful word. It's a very powerful word. And I have found that there's a tremendous sense of peace and freedom that results from being willing to give up or put away something that has been robbing me of consistent victory. I have found tremendous peace and freedom in doing that. And it's not to say that that abstaining is always convenient. Not at all. It's not always convenient. But since when does the Bible say that being a committed disciple of Jesus Christ is convenient? (laughs) My Bible doesn't talk much about that. In fact, what I understand from Scripture that it's usually the opposite. A committed disciple of Jesus Christ will have to do things that are not popular, are not convenient, and do not feel good in order to find victory. And so, if the newspaper is causing you to think wrong thoughts, if it's burning up your time, stop getting it. If your smartphone is causing you to stumble, if you're sinning with it, get rid of it. There's examples that you could have for yourself. I don't know your situation exactly. If your time for God is being robbed because of your hobby, well... Rethink your priorities. In other words, there are things that we must do in practical everyday life to maintain our peace with God and to have victory at hand. And the power that comes from abstaining is founded in the fact that it is biblical, by the way. It is biblical. You could jot down these references or look at them later. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about abstaining from fleshly lusts that war against your soul. Uh, Romans 13.14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make provision for the flesh. Uh, Hebrews 12.1, let's lay aside the weight that is getting in the way. Let's run with patience. There's many verses that speak about giving up things for the cause of Christ. And let me just say that self-denial is not a mark of weakness. Instead, it's a measure of a real man and a real woman of God. We must keep that in focus. Self-denial is not a mark of weakness, but it's a measure of a real man, real woman of God. Lastly then, we need to rely on others. 
And what I mean by this is brotherhood accountability. Just within the last week, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who had fallen into sin through his improper use of the Internet. And this is what he told me. He said, probably one of the greatest lessons I learned from that is that I need my brothers. I need my brothers. Of all the lessons he could have learned, he said probably one of the greatest ones is that I need my brothers. You see, we all face temptations. We all face struggles of various kinds. But for some very unfortunate reason, we tend to believe that it's our own little battle that probably no one else really can understand. And probably no one else really struggles with this. And certainly if we share about it, we're just going to shatter our reputation. Unfortunately, we tend to think that way. But dear people, that is baloney, (laughs) for lack of a better term. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. The Bible makes it clear that that the temptations that we face are common to man. (laughs) It's something that we all struggle with. We're not alone, so we are in this thing together. We are here to help each other make heaven as brothers and sisters, and that's a part of the beauty of brotherhood. And so I just want to challenge us all to be open, be transparent with each other, be real. You know, are you struggling with your thoughts? Are you struggling with your speech? Are you struggling with your attitude? Are you struggling with a lack of discipline? Whatever. Share your struggle with a brother or sister that you trust. Let me tell you, they will respect you for it. They will not laugh. (laughs) They will respect you for that. I really believe that it is a key to finding victory in your personal life. But also, it develops real trust and meaningful relationships in the congregation when we are open and real with each other about our struggles. It opens up a platform for good communication and good helping one another through the struggles of life. Well, in conclusion, the test of temptation, I just ask you, will you stand or will you fall? God is faithful. Don't forget, God is faithful. And he is looking today for faithful people. I trust that you will be one of them. Shall we have a closing song?